1: Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Kobe Cole. As we celebrate 50 years of hip hop this year, one of my favorite MCs, someone who uh took hip hop by storm at a very young age and has a great story to tell. Mr. Special Ed has joined us on the Backstory Podcast. Peace.
2: How are you, Kobe Cole, in the world out there? It's your boy it's Special Steve. Ed, aka the youngest in charge. Youngest. AKA in the charge. magnificent. Yes. Brooklyn's finest, you heard?
1: So, I mean, we've known each other for a long time and we're around the same age. So we are first generation hip hop heads. And I always wanted to talk to you about your, just your upbringing in regards to hip hop. What was that like for you in Brooklyn? You know, what were your early hip hop moments where you were just like, man, I got to do this. I got to rhyme. Just,
2: you know, growing up in it, hearing the first hip hop records come out and being in awe of the craft and being a musician at a young age and playing instruments in school and just being musically inclined and when they put the poetry together in that way with the music it was you know it was a breath of fresh air for me because it was like you know everybody back in the days everybody's want to really sing but not everybody could really sing so <laughs> so it was just another art form that a lot of artists could participate in that might not necessarily have you know the best singing ability so it was another chance to become great as an artist without you know being Michael Jackson.
1: So who was that artist or that song or that that you know that that thing that hooked you that was like man that's dope right there like that, that It was a, it was
2: a few things. I'll tell you a few things for me. One would be Planet Rock. One would be CD three. We know the world is rough, so get tough. Melly Mel and uh the message. Well, not just Melly. All right, pardon, but you know that was the uh voice there. You know Melly mm-hmm. Mel was the orchestrator, the illustrator, and um Super Rhymes. Rest in peace, Jimmy Spicer. Those are my uh motivational inspiration. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We had Curtis Blow. You know, Fat Boys, and um, you know later on with 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 run dmc and everything but originally i think what drew me to rap a lot was planet rock though even though it was just a vibe it was it was rap but it was um hip-hop you know it was more of a hip-hop vibe than just rap it kind of got all the elements in because it was really like a pop breaking dancing record but they was flowing in it you know what i mean and it, it was just like they played with the you know cadences and um sound So it gave you an idea of okay, well, we can do all these creative things on this beat now.
1: Well, and and Planet Rock just like smacks you in the face in the first five seconds that boom, boom boom, boom. It's like, you know, it's one of those records that you stop. Like, <laughs> what is that? So as an artist, yes, you probably be saying, When I make records, I need to make records as like people like when they hear it, it's Bruh. like I'm I'm a uh, you got my attention. So right. what was your favorite study in school and I'm going to get to why I'm asking you that because you really got on at a very young age. My favorite yeah, was study favorite in
2: school is when yeah. the bell ring.
1: So a particular class or something that you that you loved about school cuz you were just so ahead of your time in regards to just the things that you were saying in your records, it was almost like a little bit of a history lesson when we would listen to drop certain nuggets that were not necessarily things you would hear other people talk about.
2: Right. Well, I always strive to be different in my thought process, show a different perspective, rhyme a little differently, sound a little differently. I didn't want to mimic. I didn't want to be the same cookie cutter type of rapper, so I just wanted to be me, and this is how I felt about things, you know, I felt like um, I needed to insert maybe some science, some math, some understanding, some knowledge, some uh, spirituality, you understand, not just, you know, destructive, not, I, I, I like to insert positive reinforcements and things that incite and invoke thought. You know, make you provoke thought and question things and figure things out. You think about that and be like, oh, you know what? That's interesting. Let me think about that.
1: So I got it made. So you wrote that when you were like 14 or 15, right? Wait a couple years before it came out. Correct.
2: Yep. Wrote that before I recorded it and I recorded it at
1: 15. So where did you get the knowledge of, and maybe you did, this is not what you meant, but to me, you understood publishing before anybody else understood the power of publishing. I get right. paid when my records played to put it short, I got it made. Like did somebody teach you about publishing and your music and getting it played and how you get paid on the back end of that?
2: Well, I think it was just me wanting to know or understand how that worked or how I got paid and incorporating that into lyrics. So I always did the knowledge. I even did the knowledge on real estate, like before I had money, before I was 18 years of age and able to sign a legal document, like I knew all about real estate because I took it upon myself to study it and and watch the market. And every time I saw a newspaper, that's where I go the real estate section. And I see what the going price was in the market. know i'm saying what the rates were interest rates i watched stuff like that just to see because that's economics you know that was the thing that i was told was solid in investing until i found out when the market crashed but you know it is normally a very stable and high yielding uh investment so i was interested in that before i even had money before i even had records i was reading real estate um sections. And then once I became an artist and I was successful, I actually st- still went to New York state, uh, real estate course and got, you know, a salesperson's license so that I could purchase my own property.
1: Ah, without paying somebody that commission
2: fee. Copy that. And, yeah. you know, and I had to obviously put my license with a broker, but it was just a process. It was more so having to be kind of bs around because I'm a young black man trying to spend some money and they don't really want to show me what's for real. They want to chuck me around the foolishness. And I'm like, you know what? I could do this myself. So I went and took the class, got the, the, got the license and put it up in uh, this nice uh, couple's uh, spot. Older couple, ERA Peskin on Nostrad Avenue. And they were very nice. You know, they let me come in there. I hooked up their computers for them when they were still using the the MLS books. I hooked up their computers to the internet and all that, and, and they had MLS online. So, you know, one hand washed the other.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: So let's talk about your deal. So tell us a little bit about how you got your deal with Profile, which at the time was a premier label in hip-hop. They had Run-DMC, they had Rob Bass. It was just a major uh, label in hip-hop. And you're a kid, a teenager from Brooklyn, and you're like their newest prodigy. How did that come about?
2: Well, there was a management uh, group called True Blue. Tank, Tony, and Terry. You know, they played uh, football together. Rest in peace, Terry. And um, they... uh, basically came to me and they wanted to manage me in the midst of me recording with Howie T because they knew Howie T. So I guess they heard the music and was like, yo, we got to manage this kid. So when they came to me, I told them straight up, "Okay, well, I don't know you, but you coming through Howie so I can respect that. Show me, go get me a deal and you can manage me. So they said that's fair enough. So they went and shot the deal. And I think within shoot a few weeks to a few months minimum they came back and uh, they said we got to deal with profile records and um i knew exactly who they were i knew that run dmc was on the label dana dane was on the label sweet tea rob bass so i was definitely with it because if they could put me just right in that mix and that platform or that level of popularity i could do the rest put me right there put my face where they face is at and i do the rest
1: Well, you were the future so like you know that was what was beautiful about it like you were just a young person you weren't and you didn't really see that
2: they said they shopped it around and you know they got a few no's they def jam turned it down because of my age and they didn't want to they didn't want you know have to figure out how to do this but profile did and what that was was a legal process where they appointed a guardian ad litem and um, just basically a legal representative to my case in my best interests, And um, that took a year. So I sat around with a album and a
1: deal for a year. Wow. Yeah. Did you tell all your friends in school that you had, had gotten a record deal? Yeah, I had my profile
2: jacket and everything in high school. I had the leather sleeves and, and, and my name on it special lad and I, and you know they they walked around like what's that what's that because it was hot now you know the leather sleeve the green leather and it was looking like i was on a football team on my own you know what i'm saying because it wasn't the school colors but um yeah i was rocking the profile jacket. matter of fact i went to central booking in the profile jacket yeah wow. man yeah in high school out of high school through central booking in the profile jacket and my brand new nikes on a lava domes yeah man they took my laces out i was like damn but um you know it was a life experience learning experience i mean i came out with everything still clean and dandy fresh sparkling new but you know the point is that yeah i had a profile jacket back in high school
1: let's talk about your high school because i think i'm very familiar with your high school because i had friends that went to erasmus hall but -hmm. i find it one of the most interesting high schools because of the different amazing people that went to your school that had a, ended up having tremendous success. Can you name some people from your high school uh, besides yourself that ended up becoming major successes in business or entertainment?
2: The only one I know for sure is Barbara Streisand.
1: Barbara Streisand for sure. So that that is for sure. So let me give you a couple more. How about Clive Davis?
2: Oh, wow. He went to Erasmus.
1: Clive Davis went to Erasmus. Another one. Al Davis. Oh, okay. Owner of the Raiders. Went to E. Hall.
2: Wow. Yes. Are you a boxing fan i watch it I, you know i I'll, once in a while
1: so one of the greatest boxing promoters ever is bob arum he's actually a big was a big promoter but he went to uh erasmus hall wow stephanie mills oh okay yeah stephanie that's right yeah michael Rappaport.
2: okay yeah we went there at the same time yep he was an oddity but shout outs to him because he he went through it i don't well, know yeah. why or what the whole deal was about but he was definitely there and i was you know i i kind of was like you know you sure you want to be here
1: but well he, it explains it. it explains his career because you know he really assimilated with the black culture very early on in his career so it makes sense but also i say that about new yorkers because white people in new york are a lot different than white people in other parts of the country because you are you're a part of the culture whether you like it or not and so with hip-hop especially in the 80s and 90s you was just that was a part of being from New York like yeah
2: you know it was a a lot of violence and extortion and real like i mean not on a federal level but just on a youth level like yep. going on it during that time so just to see him over there but you know what i do remember now it was a school of the arts okay. now the difference between me and all those people you just named is I live three blocks away and I went there by default. I was zoned in. Right. So I didn't apply. It wasn't because of an art. It was because I live three blocks away.
1: One more name for you. Jerry Reinsdorf. You know who that is? No. Who's that? He is the guy that owned the Bulls that signed Michael Jordan.
2: Oh, copy. I need to holler at some of my alumni, man. <laughs> I need to holler at my alumni. Well, he's no man. longer, he's no longer I, with man. us. He's no longer he's with gotta us. I do a reunion or something, yeah. man. I gotta holler at my alumni.
1: But I, I always would tease any friends that I had that went to Erasmus Hall, like how great of a school that is and how much yeah. energy came out of that school. So anyway. Yeah, it was
2: big to, school. It was the big biggest school. in the country.
1: For sure. So mm-hmm. let's get to I Got A Made comes out. And then all of a sudden you're like traveling all over the country at 17 years old. What did that feel like to put a song out? It'd be such a big song. And then everywhere you go, like people are just like pining for you.
2: Yeah, it was real. I got it. Uh, The album dropped when I turned 16 and um, I just was on the road and I used to try to keep it to weekends because I was still in school. Now, I did go to the school with my parents and I tried to see if I could get a tutor or something professional so that I could finish my last year of school. So they told me no because of my history. So and, your history
1: uh, being what? You were a troublemaker? No, just, you know, my record,
2: the truant. I mean, I wasn't a troublemaker, but some things transpired correct. Right. So, um, you know, that turned into, nah, you can't do that. You have to either stay, You like, you miss another day, you're going to fail. So I made them sign me up for my GED. And immediately and i took it immediately and i passed it immediately and i basically finished before graduation i was on the road you know what i'm saying With my, like that they didn't want to compromise or give me a way to do it the way i wanted to do it which was right. correctly and just get a diploma which to me either way it don't matter because all they do was
1: teach lies no i feel you
2: to children so i don't you know i don't that don't bother me.
1: So you start touring around the country, right? How were you able to just adapt to that? For Cause you were a kid from Brooklyn and now all of a sudden you're like in Phoenix and you're in LA and you're on planes and you know, what was that like for you?
2: Well, it was a learning experience because you have to analyze and learn your surroundings, learn the people, their customs, temperaments, you know, traditions. Like for instance, I went to LA and, somebody was like, yo, let me holla at you. And I'm 16, I'm like, holla at me, that means scream. That means like somebody wants to yell at you. So I'm like, what you talking about? So just basically learning nuances of different areas, cultures, regions, and um, how they communicate. And then, um, you know, it was cool, but I'm from Brooklyn. So I find that to be like, you know, a climax biome. Meaning that's the, you know, ultimate of a city is you going to get like you you in a city. So if I can make it there, like none of that other stuff, you know, bothers me. Like it's all, most of it is nicer. So for me, it's just about, you know, going to experience that energy, going to experience the energy of different cities and different places. And then I, I can tell, I absorb energy. I could feel the old cities where it's very spiritual, and then I could feel different areas in the country, in the rural areas that I go to, tropical areas. It's different energies everywhere. But um, that's so, what I learned. I learned to feel energy from, from my surroundings, from you know where I am.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: So let's talk about your videos, because I thought you had for a debut album and for such a young person, you had really phenomenal videos. Mm-hmm. And a phenomenal meaning just different, creative you know, were those your ideas? Were you a part of the process of that? Or was it somebody you worked with that kind of crafted, I got it made, crafted, think about it, crafted, of course, magnificent with the amazing at the time, Malcolm Jamal Warner, who was a television star that directed your video. What was that all about?
2: First of all, I didn't do any video uh, production or direction. I just did uh, my artistry. Actually, that was all I did. You know, I, I stayed in my lane. So Chica Bruce, she was the director that did I Got It Made and Think About It. So she came up with the ideas, the vision and did the shoot, you know, produced, directed. You know, she had a whole team. So shout her out. And then after that, uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner came in and he did two Two videos he did uh, the Magnificent and come on let's move it and then um was it Moses came and did uh the mission so you know it, it varied just you know depending on uh, who we worked with what I did have input on was never go back I did a lot of input matter of fact I basically probably wrote that whole treatment but um you know just learning experiences
1: so um what well, I thought was cool about think about it because I watched it again today before I, we talked, um you were on a hoverboard. Was that through Central Park that you were on a hoverboard? It was a it was a hovercraft. A board is more like a board
2: that you're gonna right. stand on. A hovercraft mm-hmm. was more like a vehicle that you sit inside, like a little mini UFO. Right. So, so, yeah, those were, um. it was fun. It was real. And there were some times when it was actually me driving it through the park. And sometime when it was close up, they were pulling me. Because you could see the fan in the back not spinning. Right. So when it's spinning, it's me. When it's not spinning, they pulling me. Yeah. But the hovercraft, well, man, that was real nice. I was so lightweight. They had to put a sandbag in there so that I could maneuver it and control it.
1: Yeah, and then you had the spy stuff in it too or the 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 image Yeah, that was tricks. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. they had a the little tricks hooked up to it. I always wanted to ask you this. So you that scene where the camera comes in and you're like in a steam bath and there's all these girls. They all look like hostages except the white girl and the white girl was the only one dancing. So was that like on purpose or was What was that about in that video?
2: Nah, that was about that really those were all friends of mine and people that I invited. Now, they'd never been in a music video before. They were all teenagers like myself. They just came to help me out and they made it um, a good look. But it was almost like in those James Bond movies where the girls almost like, like zombie-like and and kind of attack or kind of, you know, dissolve their plan. So they protected me from the agents coming in. So they just kind of got up like, you know, like almost like spy zombies and blocked them off.
1: Yeah. No, but it was great, man. It was just like, because you were so young, it was just good to see a young person like in that space in hip hop, but also just being that creative And you just had such a love for hip-hop and and your place in it. So then you end up doing the Crooklyn Dodgers. Talk a little bit about, well, the next album was Legal, which was Mm -hmm. your follow-up. What was that life between Youngest in Charge and Legal then? Because you were out of school at that point, and I'm sure you Mm -hmm. got your first couple of checks. So what was life like in that period?
2: Well, actually, life was in and out of court trying to get my money from them. Because even though music was coming out and records were coming out, uh that was a part of my obligation so i was fulfilling that however i was still trying to you know get my bread right get paid correctly i I mean that's the story of the music business correct yeah yeah so So,
1: because you were before you were 18 so when you signed your deal nobody gave you a some of the upfront money they didn't even
2: give out a bunch of upfront money then i mean we we had a budget to go record uh the recording costs, et cetera, et cetera. I probably ended up with like fifteen hundred dollars. I mean the budget was probably like fifteen thousand or thirty. I don't remember which it was. But it was a cheap budget. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like it was less than they get they, they they were getting for singles at one point. At one point people were getting hundreds of thousands for a single. You know what I mean? But back then in that time an album budget was yeah, fifteen Twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000
1: you know? So were you at least getting the money when you did shows? Because you ended up doing a bunch yeah, of absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. But when I think back about it now, as a new artist, I tried to put my best foot forward. I had an elaborate show. I had three dancers, a, a hype man, my DJ, everything. So when we traveled, it was with like seven to eight people. So think about paying out, payroll. You know what I'm saying? And back then I had everything like legit, like insurance, blue cross, blue shield, all that. Like
1: for well, your I, team. I'm
2: an employer. I yeah. had a CPA, all that. Like we was doing it legit. So and um I don't know if any of them ever went to the doctor or the dentist, but you know, we had you paid fun. for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did pay I did pay for it. <laughs>
1: yeah. So what was one of the first things that you just when you ever you did have some money, what did you buy yourself or what did you spend it on? Property. Okay.
2: That was the only thing that impressed me. Cars don't impress me, and they never did because anybody could buy one, long as you got a little money, you could get any car you want. So seeing somebody with a fancy car didn't really impress me. It was just like, all right, well, that's what you wanted to spend your money on. Me, I went and cop two co-ops. You know, I went and cop the little crib. I went and cop another crib. You know, I did shit like that. I didn't, I wasn't turned on or infatuated by materialistic things like the cars or the the jewelry. I never bought no jewelry. I never I don't believe in that.
1: You weren't that kind of rapper anyway though. I'm not
2: that kind of human. Yeah.
1: That's what this has to this boils down to.
2: What type of person are you? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Are you a materialistic person that believes in material wealth and, you know, foolery, jewelry? I mean, what is that for? What is that going to do? Does it give you extra powers, energy? Can you lift a car? What, what does wearing uh, anything do for you? So, you know, I was never into that stuff, man. I, that's the ideology that I just can't grasp.
1: So you bought a bunch of properties, basically. At, and so you ended up building a, por- a real estate portfolio. Yeah, that's what I do. I
2: mean, what else so would you, you should... spend your money on? I, I don't so you... see nothing else to spend money on.
1: So you still doing that today? Like you still, like you, you've built it from scratch? Yeah. Well, I I
2: went through the ups and downs now because when the market crashed, I crashed too. So I went through that, but yeah,
1: we back. So what do you think about rappers today then? So you see how far the, and you have kids, so you, you, you obviously know what's going on. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the MC game in 2023? compared to when you came up in the uh, 80s and
2: 90s? Well, it's a lot of destruction and death going on, and we're trying to stop that. I have a nonprofit organization called Special Ed Arts and Literacy. We have partnered with the Hip Hop Alliance, and we're doing a Stop the Violence movement. It's way out of hand. We're imploring and encouraging all young artists to come and join us. You know, the founder, Curtis Blow, chairman, KRS-One, Vice President MC Light, Chuck D's president, like, we're official. And this is for us, by us, for real. You know what I'm saying? For, by all of us. So we're unionizing and um, we're stopping the violence. So that's what we want to say. And we, we want to mentor. We want to lead. We want to encourage. And we want to reach out to all young artists to join the Hip Hop Alliance. The movement is going to be... Basically, we've been out here 50 years and we are the largest musical genre revenue wise and we get no respect. We have no organization, no unionization, none of that. But now we do. So with the Hip Hop Alliance, we're initiating this for now and future generations to come so that we will have unity. We will have some sort of organization some political stance and some respect out here in the world that we are providing revenue for. We are providing revenue for the entire planet.
1: So how are you sort of corralling artists to to join your movement? And what are some of the things that you're doing to help prevent some of the unfortunate incidents that we're seeing? I mean, you're in New York City still, so... I'm going to tell you. Are you still in New York?
2: Sometimes. I'm wherever work takes me. Got it. But yes, I'm in the United States. So basically, with SEAL and with HHA and the Stop the Violence Movement, what we're doing is a number of things. One thing is we're spreading knowledge through knowledge ciphers. I have these um, classes, if you will, where we sit down and have zoom conferences relating to topics to better us, empower us as a people like such as jobs, such as job uh, placement, organizations, the allotment of jobs to minorities that we are overlooking and giving away to. Other minorities because we don't want to work. And when I say we, I just mean whoever's not showing up because I want right. to work. I'm right. working right now. You know right. what I'm saying? But there are job opportunities out there and we should know about them and we are. And we have held the knowledge cipher with Skip from Mountain Compton who does that for years, provides thousands of jobs to the community. And what we do is we teach other people in other communities how to mimic skips efforts so that they can go out there and, you know, acquire jobs in their communities for themselves as well as others. So really they can form job agencies and go out there and recruit and have, you know, thousands of jobs available to minorities. So that's one way. We had a knowledge cipher with the young and informed. Now they are 13, is it, 12 and 14, or 13 and 14. I'm not exactly sure. I'm in the acts, Noah. But uh, their father, Toc Bear, has them um, sharp as a harp, right? And um, basically, they uh, have an LLC, they have an organization whereas they speak about topics that the youth are concerned with. They speak from a youth's perspective, they let us know what we need to be listening to and looking at and what their concerns are. So that's one of the ways because it's basically a movement. It's not just one thing that we're doing. It's a number of things that all together can help to curb violence. We don't have the one answer or solution, but we can do our part everywhere we can to engage. So that's a, a part of the reason why I started philanthropy and why I started my organization, Special Ed Arts and Literacy. And the website is sealartsandliteracy.org. All Check right. me out. You know what I'm saying? This is our logo right here. Badang, you know what I'm saying? And okay. me, feel me?
1: That sounds very um, admirable and I'm glad to see that you are engaged because it is quite depressing sometimes to see the things that are happening across the country, and hopefully That's you'll get some more artists involved and some more artists engaged that have a lot of power and a lot of sway today.
2: Oh, absolutely! I'm sure we will. We just have to set it off. So we're starting this thing up, and you'll see how powerful and the magnitude that this thing grows to.
1: No, it sounds exciting, man. Well, listen, Ed. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. It's good to see you. And I think you have a, just a, a great story. Can you believe it? Hip hop is 50. How are you feeling? you know seeing I'm
2: 52 I just turned 50 so I am hip hop you know that's yep. how I feel about it I feel like yep. I'm a product of this and, and 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 manifested in the flesh
1: yeah for sure well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Special Ed doing a lot of amazing things and has a great story to tell and just one of the legends of hip-hop.
2: Absolutely. Peace. And I'll be getting inducted into the Universal Hip-Hop Museum this Saturday along with CL Smooth and Dres. so that should be exciting. Last week, we lit up the Empire State Building Red, Black, and Green with the Fashion for All Foundation and um, for Hip-Hop 50 and Black History Month. So, just some exciting things going on. I like that because I'm from New York. So, for me to light up the Empire State Building, much less red, black, and green, that's me all day. I love yeah, it. So, it's been cool. an exciting year. It's, everything is um, continuing to unfold. We're doing a lot, a lot coming up this summer. And, um, you know, I'm excited.
1: Thanks, Special Ed.
2: Thanks, Kobe.
1: Holla. Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast. A multi-instrumentalist, a songwriter, a producer, and a musical director for some of the biggest events the world has ever seen, like the Super Bowl, the Academy Awards, the Grammys, Adam Blackstone. We basically scored that thing almost like a movie, bro. You know what I mean? If I can be completely honest, this was less about playing the hits back-to-back and more like creating a moment in time uh, where you felt... Like you were going on a ride, and then she was the pilot of it all. So, super thankful to be a part of that. That's my girl, you know. Riri already knows she got my heart. Anything musically, the backstory podcast with Kobe Kolb is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media Pod is Good production, hosted and executive produced by yours truly, Kobe Kolb, edited by Donkus. Follow us on Twitter at Backstory PCC, on Instagram, get the backstory. Senior Director of Podcast Operations, Sierra Reed. For Sales and Corporate Partnerships, Josh Romani and Michelle Marino. Digital Marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Smith, and Tim Hall. Thanks again for listening to the Backstory Podcast.